0: Welcome to Nakubo in Brief, a podcast series from the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO Susan Wheeler-Johnston, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission with this podcast is to help our listeners better understand the challenges that face the business of higher education. Our hope is that you walk away with a stronger sense of the trends, policies, legislative and regulatory issues that may impact campuses today and in the future. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of educational tools at nakubo.org. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Afternoon, everyone. This is Megan Schneider, Senior Director of Government Affairs at Nakubo. Thank you so much for joining us again today for another episode of the Nakubo In Brief podcast. I am thrilled today to be joined by Juan Castillo. Juan is the Vice President of Finance and Administration at Texas A&M International University in Laredo, Texas. Juan, welcome.
1: Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here.
0: We are thrilled to have you. Uh, and for our listeners today, we are going to be talking a little bit about uh what everyone has been talking about for seemingly the past year and a half, uh, the pandemic, but specifically we're gonna talk about the higher education emergency relief fund that has been of such great assistance to colleges and universities across the country. But uh, unlike most of the discussions that are that are focused on those FERF A1 allocations that all institutions uh have received. Uh, we wanted to talk a little bit more about the HERF A2 allocations, uh, that, uh, just HBCUs, MSIs, other institutions like that received, um, because some schools, including Juan's, uh, are doing really great things with those funds. And we will dive into that discussion a little bit later on. Um, but before we get started with that, Juan, can you just tell us a little bit about your institution? What, what does your student population look like? What should we know about, about your university?
1: Texas A&M International University, or TAMIU as we're known, is a relatively young institution, and we were right in the middle of celebrating 25 years on our current campus and our 50th anniversary of existence when the pandemic hit last year. We're a comprehensive regional university located in Laredo, on the South Texas border with Mexico, in a very bicultural and bilingual community. We have an incredibly diverse international faculty who provide our over 8,000 students with a learning environment of high-quality programs, the most popular of which include criminal justice, international business, and nursing. We serve the highest percentage of Hispanic students in the nation, the majority of whom are the first in their family to attend college, which, as you might imagine, can have a profound and transformative effect on these students and their families for generations to come. Thank you
0: so much, Juan. Yeah, absolutely. The work that your institution uh, does to serve historically underrepresented populations is is so great. Um, and Nakubo's state of higher education resources are a great uh, option if you'd like to learn more about the transport transformative power of higher education. Uh, but returning to the topic of uh, the pandemic, Juan, can you tell us a little bit about the pandemic's impacts on your students, Um, maybe even some of the largest areas of need you saw that uh, were going unmet during the pandemic? Um, how, How was your student body able to respond from the beginning of the pandemic and sort of up until now?
1: Well, there was a period of time last summer and again during the winter when the virus was ravaging our community. Our two hospitals were above capacity and struggling to keep up with these surges, and many of our students lost loved ones. Our students also struggled with many of the same things students across the nation did. They lost their jobs, battled food insecurity, and grappled with online learning. TAMU provides a number of intrusive student services from advising and mentoring to tutoring and supplemental instruction. As with our instructional modality, the pandemic pushed all of these services to a virtual platform. And quite frankly, that proved to be a challenge, especially for freshmen and sophomores. With the shutting down of businesses, many students were unemployed from one day to the next. Financial support to cover tuition and fees so students could continue their progress toward degree represented a huge need, but so did financial support to handle the unexpected expenses not necessarily related to their education, including helping to support their families.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think those are definitely some of the largest areas of unmet need we saw for students across the country and certainly something that I think many students are still grappling with Uh, As we try to get back to somewhat of a normal operating procedure. Um, But as we mentioned at the top of the hour, we are here to talk about uh, HERF, or the Higher Education Emergency Relief Fund. Uh, For those that may not be familiar or just hearing about HERF for the first time, this is a a pool of federal grant dollars that have gone to institutions and students throughout the pandemic. They were first passed uh, in the CARES Act in March of 2020. Uh, Additional HERF funds were created or were appropriated at the end of 2020 uh, in a Congressional Appropriations Act. And then most recently, uh, another infusion of HERF funds was provided in uh, the American Rescue Plan Act. Uh, Most colleges and universities are really familiar with the HERF, what we call A1 allocations. Those are the primary allocations that are split into an institutional share and an emergency grants to students share. Um, and if you've been following Nakubo programming, you know that we talk about them a lot. Most higher education associations have been talking about them a lot. Uh, but there were other allocations made from HERF. We call these the A2 allocations. And these were funds specifically earmarked for historically Black colleges and universities, minority-serving institutions. Other allocations were made for the Strengthening Institutions Program. And because TAMIU is a minority-serving institution they were able to uh, get some of those additional HERF allocations. The nice thing about those A2 allocations is that they had different, more broad allowable uses than the A1 allocations uh, init- initially did. Um, and even still to, the, to this day, do have somewhat uh, slightly different allowable uses than the A1 allocations do. Um, and one of the reasons we really wanted to talk to Juan today is because TAMIU has come up with some really creative uses for those funds uh, to help support their students. Juan, can you tell us about some of those uses?
1: When HERF allocation started with the CARES Act, we used our MSI funds to cover payroll for additional instructional technology employees to help our faculty convert their courses to TAMIU Flex, a learning modality that allowed students to come to class in person or attend class remotely, either synchronously or asynchronously. We also used MSI funds for scholarships to help combat summer melt. I think some of our more innovative initiatives have included our meal drive-through events serving over 1,000 students. These events provided a warm, healthy meal to students combating food insecurity. We also recently wrote off over $1 million in student account balances through our Fresh Start initiative. With these balances removed, students are now able to register for classes or request transcripts to continue their academic journey. I'm most excited about our latest initiative, which we're launching this fall. TAMIU Books Included will provide all required course materials to our students on day one, free of charge. With about 65% of our students on Pell, many of them prioritize their expenses and often hold off on purchasing course materials until several weeks into the semester, or they try sharing books with other classmates. We believe the additional academic support from this program will help our students overcome yet another barrier that may otherwise hamper their success.
0: Obviously, you all are doing amazing work with these dollars, really putting them to work. Um, For those of us that are on Capitol Hill in advocacy roles, these are the sorts of stories that we're sharing with lawmakers to say, look at the good work our institutions are doing with the dollars that you gave them. And Tammy, you is an exemplary uh, indication of this, you all are doing things with this money that is so innovative, but that is also really well attuned to the needs of your particular student body population, which is really impressive. Um, the meals program obviously is meeting such an important community need. Um, we often hear from Pell Grant recipients or other students from low income backgrounds that it is those expenses that are not what we call Q tree like, right qualified tuition related expenses, but things like room and board or textbooks in particular that are often a, a huge barrier to, to their success. And it's just really inspirational to hear that you're, you're meeting those needs for your students. Uh, now, as, as is always the case with <laughs> everything, I'm sure there were probably some challenges, maybe logistical, maybe administrative, uh, other types of challenges that have uh, come up in putting some of those really more creative supports in place. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that one?
1: Yeah, you know, for the bulk of our initiatives, the biggest challenge was in the planning versus the execution. Uh, many of these initiatives are obviously very different from the normal way we conduct our business. So getting the word out has been key. Our public relations department has been great and has utilized traditional press releases, a dedicated COVID-19 website, and social media to get the word out to our students. Uh, TAMIU books included is the biggest logistical challenge, though, because for this to work, We and our bookstore partner need to know what books our faculty will be using. And our faculty are pretty good about submitting their adoptions, but unfortunately, when adjuncts are hired late in the game, those adoptions sometimes go out the window. That won't be an option under this program, so in this case, it's really more about communicating the program particulars to our faculty, chairs, and deans to ensure everyone knows what is necessary to make this seamless for our students. That's what will be the key to the success of this initiative.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I don't think people always realize, uh, how logistically difficult from an administrative standpoint, uh, instituting a program like that could be. As you mentioned, it requires pretty, pretty sizable coordination with your faculty. And, you know, with faculty being, you know, maybe elsewhere for the summer or just, uh, unavailable for communication, that, that can be so tricky. But it's, it's really impressive that you're willing to take on this daunting task to help support your students. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about some of the student response to these programs
1: that you've seen? Well, the student response has been overwhelmingly positive, but then again, who wouldn't want their student account balance wiped away or free books for that matter? Uh, Back when I was in school, books cost more than my tuition and fees, but the cost of books then didn't compare to what they cost now, even with the advent of digital and rental books. One of my favorite responses came through social media, and it involved a student commenting on how she picked the right time to come back to school. And she was encouraging other students to do the same. I think that's exactly what Congress had in mind with the various rounds of HERF allocations.
0: Yeah, I think you're so right. And I think it was so important that Congress recognized that uh, at minority serving institutions, at HBCUs, at programs that uh, qualify under the Strengthening Institutions Program, there would be these areas of additional unmet need where institutions really could operationalize these dollars to to meet uh, the unique needs on these campuses. Um and absolutely I remember being a college student a first gen college student trying to pay for my textbooks and uh going to order them my freshman semester and being absolutely shocked that that books cost uh, you know thousands of dollars. Uh that was something I had never considered it was not something that I had factored into what my higher education expenses would be. Uh, so it's I, I can only imagine the relief that many of your students uh, are feeling right now. Absolutely, yeah. So, question of the hour that we're asking everyone: uh, What will the TAMU campus look like this fall? Are you are you all back to normal in person? A, a hybrid of online? What What do you think your campus will uh, look like this fall?
1: Well, we're looking at a fall reminiscent of a pre pandemic semester. Uh, the bulk of our courses will be face to face with no flex option. And we're planning to bring back the intrusive student support services I spoke of earlier, including expanding tutoring and supplemental instruction. In fact, today we're wrapping up our first overnight freshman orientation of the summer. Students were given the option of a virtual orientation, but the response for face-to-face has been overwhelming. Incidentally, for those who may be wondering, we're rapid testing orientation attendees for entry. We also have regular on-campus testing and COVID-19 vaccinations available. I just read yesterday that Texas students' standardized test scores dropped dramatically during the pandemic, with the drop most significant among Hispanic students in districts where instruction was predominantly online. Whether that was because of spotty internet service at home, sharing a computer with multiple siblings, or juggling family obligations or distractions, we firmly believe our students are most successful in a traditional face-to-face environment with a full complement of support services.
0: That's a, that's a great point, Juan. Thanks for sharing that. I know that, uh, some of the FTC and FCC programs that were designed to provide some more rural broadband infrastructure support or to help subsidize the cost of online, uh, access are, have been really helpful to a lot of students, but also many of them are just getting off the ground now. Uh, and that, that didn't do a whole lot, right? For students when, when they were trying to learn online last semester. So I, I can absolutely understand why for your student population, it is important to get back to that in person instruction
1: right and e- even with uh, the best internet service, if you're in a household with three, four or five siblings and there's only one computer, that's going to have an impact as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. If you have you know younger siblings that are trying to be online for a full day for k twelve instruction or you know parents that need a computer for for their own work or uh, if you're a, a working parent, I can absolutely understand how trying to juggle that would just be it would be insurmountable for for and for much of the semester, I would imagine. I agree. For a lot of institutions, we know that we've seen, uh, somewhat surprisingly, because this is not typically the way that uh, higher education enrollment works during times of recession, uh, typically during economic recessions, we actually see increased enrollment in higher education as uh, individuals return to higher education to retrain, learn new skills to help make themselves more competitive in the job market. Uh, But we know that this pandemic functioned very differently than that. Uh, we saw a declining enrollment across the higher education se- sector throughout the pandemic. Uh, so, Juan, how does your fall enrollment look for the, this fall 2021 semester?
1: Well, interestingly, we bucked the trend uh, last year. We had a slight increase last fall, uh, but we were also fortunate enough to get through the bulk of our recruitment cycle before the pandemic hit. Right now, for this fall, we're down about 175 students, and it's largely in the incoming freshman class. Uh, with over 82% of our community having received at least one dose of the vaccine, though, we're hopeful the returning sense of normalcy will close this gap as those high school graduates decide, albeit later than usual, to head to college.
0: Oh, that's so great to hear. Um, and especially those those vaccination rate numbers are, are great as we're seeing more data from the CDC indicating that it, it really is the college-age-going students that uh, do have the lowest vaccination rates. So it's it's great to hear that your numbers are so high.
1: Where we're very proud of our community.
0: Yeah. Sounds like you all have done a great job turning away from the pandemic and, uh, her. Well, this is not even remotely related. Uh, but I thought it might be a fun, fun note to end on. Certainly probably a little bit more fun to discuss in the pandemic. Those in the charitable giving community and certainly the higher education charitable giving community referred to 2020. And now it's looking like even 2020, 2021 will be this, uh, as the year of Mackenzie Scott. Uh, Mackenzie Scott has made huge donations to colleges and universities across the country. Um, she supported access initiatives at uh, various foundations uh, and really done due diligence in finding institutions that are truly uh, delivering on their mission to do uh, student service and to educate their students and to uh, educate uh, very deserving populations. And of course, Tam, you was one such institution. You, your institution did recently receive a, a sizable gift, uh, I believe the largest in your school history from Mackenzie Scott. Uh, do you guys have any exciting plans in the work for how you might use that gift?
1: Oh, you know, this incredibly generous gift of which we were notified right before Christmas came close to doubling our existing endowment. So you can just imagine the impact that'll have on our institution uh, of course, we had people across campus offering their ideas, and as tempting as it was to look to one-time purchases or expenses, we're actually hoping to leverage Ms. Scott's generous gift as matching funds for additional donations to support the educational needs of our students and programmatic needs of our departments. Our, our leadership is committed to ensuring TAMIU has the resources we need to continue our mission long after those of us who are here now are all gone. So, more to come on that but uh yes it was just an incredible gift.
0: That is so great to hear. Uh, it sounds like such a uh if not you know the news or the exciting headlines certainly at least from the Nakubo's perspective a very fiscally sound way to spend the money. For uh, those listening that aren't familiar with the Nakubo's annual study of endowments, uh, it shows that uh, endowments, one of their greatest purposes is supporting uh, student access and success. Uh, and I have no doubt that it's the same at TAMIU, but that, that sounds like such a, a great use of the funds. That's really exciting for you all. All right. I want to thank everyone for joining us today, but in particular, Juan for being so willing to share of his time. Uh, to share a little bit more about all of the great work that he is doing and that the TMEU campus is doing. Uh, feel free, as always, to reach out if you have questions uh, related to today's podcast. We're always happy to uh, answer those. And with that, I will say thanks again to everyone for joining us. And Juan, thank you so much for talking with me today.
1: Oh, thank you, Megan. Again, it was my sincere pleasure.